Hey everyone, and Happy New Year! Today, our podcast guest is Deliana Escobari. We call her Dee. Dee started off as an accountant, then she did her masters in computer engineering, and is now a software engineer at Microsoft. Some other fun facts about Dee, she has a dog, she loves to climb, and she's also the VP of Web Development, Curriculum Designer, and Content Creator at the Nuevo Foundation. Super excited to have her on the show. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. <laughs> um, so let's do a quick intro. So Dee, Jimena, and I all work together um, in Chicago, and it's been many years since we've, we've had the chance to work together, but it was a really fun ride and really fun journey. Um, Dee's now currently working at Microsoft as a software engineer over there, so really big step up from uh, small Chicago roots. How's everything going with you, Dee? It's great. It's great. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I don't know if it's a huge step up, but I, I really like what I do and I liked uh, every step of the way until this point. So it's been good. Nice. And how are you, Jimena? How's the holiday going? It's going good. Uh, I'm excited to do the Zoom Christmas this year. Uh, my brother and my sister won't be coming into town. It's going to be Zoom. But hey, 2020, almost there. A few more days and it'll be all over. Yeah. Oh, almost there. Yeah. Get this vaccine in, into myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the goal. <laughs> Eventually. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. It's been crazy. Just year. don't walk towards it. That's what they say. Don't walk towards the light. That's what Latinos tell you because they think that's death. But in this case... I think that the light is the vaccine. <laughs> the opposite of death. The opposite. This is life. <laughs> it's life. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so Dee, can you tell us a little bit about your origin story into tech? Yeah. I like how you guys call it your origin story. Like we're superheroes. Mm. It makes me feel Hell yeah. so good. <laughs> so um, the... The way I got into tech is a little bit less traditional than um, most software engineers I know, but definitely not super unique. Um, I started in accounting. Uh, so out of undergrad, um, I uh, had a lot of concerns, uh, mainly financial, because getting through college was uh, such a hard um, time financially that I was always thinking about uh, money in, in that sense of how am I going to support myself. And um, I think like when you think of the, the hierarchy of needs, I was always thinking about just like food and shelter. And um, I, unlike other kids that are thinking, oh, what do I love? What, what should I do that um, fulfills me? I was thinking more like, okay, how, how do I avoid these feelings of being on the edge of disaster? So <laughs> um, a lot of <laughs> school counselors were like, well, there's a lot of jobs in accounting. And um, Particularly for me, I was looking for something that was going to sponsor me with a work visa because I'm Bolivian, so I needed a work permit to stay in the United States. So um, I got my degree in accounting, and like I think that kept me really focused during college and my first years out of school because to get that work permit, you really needed to get a big company to sponsor you. So I worked for a big, um, one of the top four accounting firms, and having all that focus to get there, I think 
I didn't ask myself, like, what is it going to be fulfilling long-term? And um, a year into my first job, I realized I hated it. <laughs> um, so I started to teach myself how to code on the side just to keep myself um, engaged. And mm-hmm. um, I think it was a, um, after I got my CPA, which is like a an accounting license that takes a while to get and you have to study a lot. As soon as I got it, I realized like I couldn't do this anymore. And uh, <laughs> I, um, I decided I was going to quit my job and um, uh, just try to get, at the time I was a little, a little confused about how the path would look. So I started to look for apprenticeships and do all these uh, sort of social events. Um, and uh, while teaching myself to code on the side, I was kind of like, getting bits and pieces of it, but I feel like I was missing um, sort of like that sort of like story that kind of clicks and makes sense. So I signed up for a master's at some point. I was just like, okay, I need to um, grow my skills in a way that it's uh, marketable for a position. Cause I think a lot of people can relate that when you're reading entry-level positions, it can be really daunting to see all these requirements and uh, see how you would fit in that role. So I was very lost when, when looking at like, okay, the next step would be to get a job and um, nothing, nothing seemed to uh, fit what I already had gained, like just learning by myself. So I went through a master's and um, started working for a startup and did um, a little bit of everything because the startups is um, a little bit messier. There's not... Um, uh, roles are not very tightly defined to like your title. <laughs> so I did yeah. uh, a little bit of marketing and I did a little bit of like s- selling stuff to um, uh, to customers and and a little bit of coding. And then I got my my degree and that's when I was I felt ready at least to apply to those um, more traditional engineering roles and that's where I got a job at Innova and I met you guys and um, that's a great, great first job in traditional software engineering. Um, and then, uh, I think it was about a year into that job. I realized that I also, um, wanted to do other things that fulfill me, like, uh, being outdoors and climbing. So I started to look for jobs out West and I found a job at Microsoft and I applied and I was super scared about the process because, um, the interview process in tech is a little bit, um, it exposes you. And I, I, didn't, I didn't feel ready for it, but I'm glad I forced myself to go through it because in the end I got a job and um, I, love, I love my position now. I started off with a team that was um, not the best fit. And I really doubted myself for that first year at Microsoft, but it was good because it, really pushed me to look for something that I really liked. And that's how I found the team I'm in now um, inside of Visual Studio. And now I feel like finally, like things have fallen to a place where I'm like happy and I can stay for a long time or at least until um, I can see the next challenge and figure that part out. But for now, yeah, I really love where I am. That's an amazing story, Dee. Like, I have always told you that you're an inspiring human being. You have such an amazing story, starting with a different background in accounting, and you realize it's not your thing, 
but you also talk about the challenges of money which is very real which we realized this year especially right in the middle of a pandemic you touch on problems of like I realized I had to find something that was fulfilling and you mentioned your first uh, job where you had to do a little bit of everything and now I'm like the first year at Microsoft where you doubted yourself all these little pain points what would you say were the biggest challenges so far in your career whether they were work-related or personal yeah that's a really good question um I think uh the biggest things for me were were like for sure um getting over that fear of taking that jump and switching. It doesn't just happen with one decision. It's something that you have to continuously push for because um, first of all, there's like this um, place of comfort that comes with a steady paycheck. And you definitely don't want to leave that, especially if it's a, a good job that you worked hard to get. And that was me in accounting. It was definitely a career trajectory that was going one way and it wasn't giving me signs that it's like um that I was uh, failing at that so it was even harder to say like oh let's throw all of these so uh, these years of work and um start something else where I also felt super out of place because um I think like in tech I don't want to be overly critical because I think it's awesome that it gives young people um the spotlight to say like oh look at this young entrepreneur a tech like whiz or whatever. And it's usually something, someone young and um, to a degree, someone young, beautiful and social. <laughs> it's a real weird persona because <laughs> so a lot of coders are definitely not that. But um, <laughs> I just felt like um, from outside looking in that, oh, like I may not fit in this world. Like I like it, but it's scary to, to get out of this comfort zone to whatever this is that I have no idea if I'm fit for. So That was, that was a huge challenge just to even make the mental decision of like, yeah, other people get paid to do this. Why can't one of those people be me? That was hard. Yeah. Um, and then later on in my career, once I was like, okay, I have some experience. I, I'm doing this. This is good. Then I decided to move um, to Washington and work at Microsoft. And like, first of all, that interview process was very scary. And I realized like, this is probably why a lot of people are not in tech because Um, we're scaring people away with this interview process that like um, asks you to stand in front of someone and code a problem that they've never heard about before and, and, and ace it. Like, even if they tell you like, oh, it's okay if you don't solve it or whatever, it's still very exposing. Like, I don't think people normally are asked to do those things in any other situation. <laughs> so yeah. that was scary to me. And um I didn't want to do it. So for a long time, I, I even thought like, oh yeah, Microsoft is where the geniuses go and that's not where I belong, but it's very far from the truth really. And I guess that the last challenge that I can think of that was really hard was um, being placed on a team that uh, it was just very different personalities than me. And it made me doubt myself a lot. And Um, now looking back, I realized I was, it wasn't me that was like, say, or a bad coder or, uh, not a hard worker, but, um, it was an environment where I just didn't feel safe. And in the sense of like, 
I, I never felt like I was doing enough and I never felt like my work was good enough. Um, but it was, it was just the environment because I switched teams and now it's, it's all great. <laughs> I want to say magically, but uh, the environment is one such that I can um, really do my best. So um, getting over the fact that not every place is for you, right? Or not every place is like a place where you're going to thrive and that's okay. Yeah. 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 Totally agree with that. I think um, this touches some like, like really, really interesting points that I think like one of the biggest like things that I, I completely agree with you is like the interviewing or like guess technical interviewing is kind of broken. Yeah. Um, and you know, for the life of me, I have no idea how else I'd do it, but yeah, like doing, you know, an hour coding algorithm test is not a good way to hire or to assess someone's ability. Um, so yeah, I totally see that. I agree. Um, it's, I, I also don't know what the best way would be because, yeah. um, a little bit of the rationale to do things that way is that, um, these big companies rather um, say no to a good worker um, than to hire a bad worker. But um, I do think that with this type of interview process, you're missing out on people with different backgrounds and different personalities because it's just too scary to go through that. And, and then so you're missing out on a big potential, like people that could bring in different perspectives to your team. And I feel like in our days, we need some of that. We need people um, from all sorts of backgrounds to help solve some of the problems that will end up being in products that are not just meant for one type of people. They're meant for all of us. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 100%. And like, even if like the smallest thing is like, you'll find someone who's like you and who will kind of like, who you can kind of model your career off. Like that's huge. Because I think you brought up that point where like, you're looking into tech and there's people that aren't like you and they're kind of the people that you see the most and that's super scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so kind of reflecting on this um, awesome journey that you've had, are there anything that, is there anything that you do differently? Um, yeah, so hindsight is twenty twenty. So <laughs> obviously um, at the time, I don't think there was a way to see it, but uh, one of the things that I think about a lot is that during uh, my master's, I took a bunch of machine learning classes. And I remember uh, that we would always think of algorithms in terms of how accurate they are at predicting something. Um, like, for example, we would do um, algorithms that would recommend like the best movie for this type of person um, and stuff that we see a lot right now. Um, and mm -hmm. we never had conversations about bringing a human aspect into that. And that to me is something that I'm like, always like, why didn't we? And now we're seeing so many problems with, um, social media recommending stuff to you. That's like, um, it doesn't have to be true. It just has to be, um, something that keeps you in the platform. And, um, I just, I just shocked that I had so many classes where that didn't come up to any of us. And now we're all developers creating these um, 
tools that everybody's going to use. And we have never thought about um, what, what the outcome really is because um, now people get their news from, from social media or they like um, YouTube is where most people watch like news pieces or opinion pieces. And um, we only care about the likeliness that somebody's going to click on it, but we don't care about the quality of the content. So to me, like, I wish I could go back and ask my profs what they think about that or I don't know, bring, bring that aspect into people's minds. That's so interesting. Yeah. And like the, they don't really think about the truth of things as well. Right. Cause it's that, that is really hard to do. Um, right. to, we know, we know how to model like user engagement. We know how to model like um, popularity, but we don't know uh, what is the, how to assess that something's true or not. <laughs> so this is such an interesting topic and it's funny that you brought it up because this week I was watching this uh, film from Frontline PBS in the age of AI where it talks about um, all the products that we're building and it, it like it reminds me so much of there was a story that I read about uh, the self-driving vehicles and how it will detect certain mm -hmm. things right? But there are some things that because of the way it's coded, um, it was bringing up problems with people of color, yeah. because it wouldn't detect the, the skin color at, at a certain point, like at a certain shade, it would, it wouldn't detect it. And then it would, it, it makes you overthink certain things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it, it, it somehow it links to the type of people that we hired in tech companies, right? Because we are print, we're, we're talking about diverse candidates, mm -hmm. and um, when we touch on the the word diverse, everybody thinks about oh, people of color or certain things. But what about the different ways of thinking? And the disability is also like a disability could also be a diverse thing. Like um, I don't know if you guys have seen. There's a video going around on social media of how a phone, like somebody that can't see, is able to text through, through. I can't think of the word right now, but there's an a, a device that helps the 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 girl send text messages without having to use her voice either. Oh wow! Uh, it's like a keyboard, yeah, and it's super cool, and it makes me think of all of these big companies are also startups. What are we doing to diversify our pipeline and also think about these products? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to start thinking about, um, yeah, all these, all these products that we use every day and um, how, how a lot of them are missing that human aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's what I would do differently if I could go back. Um, yeah. But looking forward, I feel like uh, we need to have more of these conversations. <laughs> we need to start designing yeah. things uh, in a way that they um, that they speak to a broader audience. I think sometimes as engineers, we get like caught up as in, into um, 
using the technology like as far as it could go but um i don't think we we sometimes see the <laughs> what it could end up being if uh once we like release it into into the public 100 and i feel like it's like this is d definitely not trying to um be a cop-out but as like an engineer it can be hard to actually see the results of what you're doing absolutely um until you get to kind of like the big scale of like you know facebook and and google and all the kind of social media and stuff like you don't really know what you're like this one little feature you're releasing you don't really know what the effect would be exactly and i think that's where the, the problem where we're at right now um where it stems from a, a lot of things were just like oh this little thing and i'm just yeah. gonna put it out there and it just takes a life of its own and mm. um the, yeah right now i don't know how you could reel back um stuff like yeah like your newsfeed where it's the endless scroll what would you do without right. that i don't know how you could roll that back <laughs> yeah just mm -mm. delete the app <laughs> <laughs> yeah how do, you, how do you fix the algorithm without without breaking it, if it makes sense? <laughs> right. Now there's a huge platform, um, like Facebook is built on um, that, like that constant stream of information just like available to you. I, I don't know if you could just like undo it at this point, but I don't yeah. know. Mm -mm. Something we need to no, solve for though. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm thinking of like when you log into it has happened that I log into Instagram and I see certain posts that I search on Amazon, for example, right? That are on sale and stuff. It's just the algorithm that it's getting. Yeah. Or like, I mean, how many of us have been caught up in like that endless YouTube like um like continue to click on the next video like i waste a lot of time <laughs> with that yeah i get some random videos as well yeah exactly <laughs> it's like only tangentially related to the stuff i was watching yeah. before but i just continue to oh yeah of course i'll watch this interview <laughs> with like shia labeouf <laughs> whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's exactly the same algorithm that tiktok is using mm -hmm. right like and for me, TikTok is amazing because I, I see it with my parents, especially my dad. He just keeps scrolling and scrolling. But I have friends that are the type of person that are, keep adding content oh. to it. And it's like, at what point do you like, don't, I don't know, for like, so I have a friend that is a big TikToker, always posting on, on it. And there is, uh, like, on the other side, my dad that keep, just keeps scrolling without right. posting. I mean, that's how they're designed. They're designed so that whatever it is that makes you be there on the platform, they'll try to cater to that. So if your friend's a poster and uh, you get that adrenaline rush from, like, putting stuff up, that's what they want. And if your mm -hmm. dad's, like, a passive um, user in the platform, they will also have stuff for him. So it's exactly mm -hmm. how it's designed. It's working as designed. It's more like we don't think of like, oh, how is that going to affect like kids that don't have attention spans longer than 12 seconds anymore? <laughs> or um, yeah. yeah, or people getting their news from social media without being like properly uh, vetted. And now you have people who've 
believing stuff that like is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's such an interesting conversation and we could spend hours like the three of us are like geeks and we will continue this conversation probably mm -hmm. after. Um, but let me bring it back to, to you and your career. <laughs> what advice would you give your early self or people that are looking to come into tech, whether it's from a different background or they have a CS degree? Mm -hmm. um, I would say the biggest thing is um, to not give up on your Your, your goals, if you want to transition into tech or if you just want to get into tech, uh, don't give up because the way I see it is similar to something like carpentry or um, mm -hmm. you can't just read a book and be a carpenter. Like you have to get your um, those skills by practicing. And it's very similar with um, coding. You have to... Um, get in there and try things and possibly fail and get frustrated and maybe like, yeah, put in some hours just like developing and honing your skills. And the thing that is um, going to happen is that it's not going to look the same as your friend or the same as somebody else that you know. Everybody's journey to get proficient is a little different because um, people get stuck different places. But that doesn't mean that you're not good for it. Um, I think technology has so many different roles that um, will fit you eventually if if you just um, give it give it some patience, give it some um, like just don't give up on it. <laughs> uh, I think like uh, there's just enough spots that want people that want to do good work, so. If you just uh, keep applying different places and don't, um, yeah, don't get yourself down because a lot of places will make you feel bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I, uh, sometimes that you don't, you may not have the skills or um, may not be the right fit. Like, like I had a team at Microsoft that so just wasn't the right fit and I felt like I was just a bad coder, but it's not necessarily true. It may just be the environment. So um keep practicing you'll get there <laughs> yeah i think that's like really important advice and also the fact that like when you're in it every single day it's really hard to see your own progress yeah um so and I, i always think back like try and save some piece of code that you wrote because i remember like the first ruby on rails application i wrote was just full of nested roots because mm -hmm. i thought that was the coolest thing ever yeah. And now I realized I, there's no way you can debug something like that. <laughs> like if something breaks. Right. Or like, uh, I was so happy I used recursion to like, nice. like stuff. But yeah, now I look back, it's like, it's so unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it really depends. <laughs> and like, yeah. um, I don't know. I just, I just think that um, exactly that. Like sometimes you'll take a long time learning I don't know. Yeah. Um, one specific technology, but then once you build on that, it may not take us long. So it just, it just feels, um, it can feel really daunting while you're in it, but 
Yeah. Yeah, I got to keep doing um, it. I did have like one question that kind of came from this. So I think you mentioned a couple of times, like um, in a previous team, it wasn't a good fit. How did you kind of recognize that? Um, well, I think a really good red flag is when your manager tells you you need to work harder and you're just like, you know that you're working really hard. <laughs> like, you know, right. that's probably the wrong fit. <laughs> um, so I, um, I think like um, that team worked really well um, under pressure, I think I would say. Like they liked being under like uh, a a big deadline. Um, and I just, I just don't work well that way. I just get so stressed out. Like, I think stress is great to help you push harder and focus, but if stress gets to a level where it's paralyzing, then it's not a good place. And I think at that point, I stress was so high that I couldn't even perform the way I wanted. So, um, there's, there's some stress management that um, I think everybody should be aware of <laughs> yeah. to use it to your advantage. No yeah. Um, I think another thing that was hard about that team. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to talk bad because every experience is good for you to, to grow as a developer. And I think that th this one was instrumental <laughs> to, to knowing what I, mm. um, to, to being where I am now. Um, I think one of the things too is that um, the code base had grown to a point where it was hardly manageable. Like it, it was, mm. the code was so tied um, that making any changes was without breaking anything was very hard. And that brought in a lot of stress. So it could have been um, something that could have been now, now that I have more experience. I definitely would have suggested breaking up the code and um, adding adding different gimmicks. I don't gimmicks is not the word, but um, what I would do now is like if a, if a code is a code base is too big, too hard. Uh, what I would do is I would try to break up the pieces that make sense um, and put an API on top of it so that you mm -hmm. can rework it or work on a on a v two side by side. Um, mm -hmm. without having to retire everything right away. Um, I think that's a great way to break up the stress because um, any new feature that had to be developed was so hard just because you had to not break anything else and it just became this monster that nobody wanted to get near. Yeah. Yeah, definitely know that feeling too. It's like you're doing it, you're coding every single day in this, kind of huge code base so if your experience is not great then that's not going to be a very fun environment to work in no everybody's too stressed out yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um the the worst thing like it's just it's so funny it's the the legacy monster like that haunts us all. it does and it never ha comes from a bad place it's not like people want to make a monolith it just you just start sticking a new piece here and another one here and another one here that depends on a piece in the middle here. And all of a sudden it's like a monster, like two years right. down the line. You're like, oh no. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's this business commit that we need to make. And then all of a sudden, yeah, we never change it. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I should spend some time refactoring it. And your manager looks at you like, 
why are you wasting time <laughs> yeah it's like we have no time yeah <laughs> that is so funny yeah. oh my god so um this i guess kind of segues into uh what exciting things are you working on currently you know now that we've talked about monoliths and stuff like that hey yeah um so uh, the service I'm working on right now inside of Visual Studio basically um, validates that new changes into the product don't break old uh, or existing features or that it makes the product as a whole regress in terms of performance. So to validate that, um, I help build a service that basically takes in the changes, analyzes them, and figures out what tests to run. And to do that, um, on the back end, we use Azure Durable Functions, which are super exciting because um, uh, I think most people are familiar with AWS Lambdas. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure if there's an equivalent, but Durable Functions are um, stateful, meaning that um, functions can say like branch out to do all these little things, but they come back to say an orchestrator function that remembers the state um, and then can, you can basically perform patterns that are more, um, a little bit, um, what's the word, uh, you can develop your whole application with basically these little functions of code that do like very specific modular things. And it's a really fun sort of way to play with the logic and it's very maintainable. So it's very exciting because like it, it's a huge contrast between what I was doing before, which is this huge, like rigid thing versus this thing that's just like um, so, so easy to, first of all, code, deploy, like um, deployments are just a dream with durable functions <laughs> and you can um, test everything locally and whatever you're testing locally is actually what's going to get um, deployed into production. So you don't see a lot of like um, errors once you, once you um, deploy your code. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really it's like the opposite of what you were doing. It's before. completely opposite. <laughs> it's great. It's really fun. If anybody like is interested in durable functions, I, I like any listener out there, I highly recommend them. They're super fun. That's awesome. That, that is a perfect lead way to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you and how can we connect with you? You can find me in the outdoors of Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm actually also like, I have an open account on Instagram, which I don't know if a lot of people do, but if you look for Deliana E on Instagram or Deliana E on LinkedIn, you'll find me. I can also give you the, uh, my account so you can put them in your, uh, notes. Yeah. We'll definitely drop a link below. Cool. Cool. Well, um, this has been a really awesome talk. I think we've had, like, I don't know, just listen to your story. It's just pretty amazing um, how far you've come from, like, Bolivia all the way to the States now, being an accountant to being, like, uh, an engineer at Microsoft. Like, that's just an awesome journey. Um, so thank you so much for your time, Dee. Thanks, guys. This is so fun. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Holiday episode. Holiday episode. <laughs> 
I, I have a Santa tracker and a vaccine tracker, so who knows who's going to be here tonight. <laughs> nice. Hopefully the vaccine tracker. <laughs> Hopefully the vaccine. <laughs> that's, all, uh, that, that's the only present on my list. Yeah. Oh. Cool. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye.